Welcome to the Park Road Talk Back Podcast. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Amy Jacks Dean. Today we talk about his recent sermon, From Constantine to COVID, The Good News of a Church in Crisis. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today Russ and I will be taking a deeper dive into the message and the meaning of his recent sermon. Hello, Russ. How are you today? Bruce, I'm doing well. It's been a while since we've uh, had a conversation, so I'm looking forward to this. And it is good to be back, back in front of the microphone. Yeah. So tell me, the this sermon, uh, I think, was inspired in part by an article you wrote for Baptist News Global. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I have been writing basically a monthly piece for Baptist News Global um, for for five years. Um, and th- this was the last published piece that I had, and it was entitled, The Church is Called to Die. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but it was entitled, The Church is Called to Die. Um, and I, I said... In the, in the introduction to the, to the sermon on this morning that I'd had a good bit of response to that post, uh, a good bit of good response, uh, appreciative response. But I also knew that I had stirred up a little bit of confusion for some people. What do you mean the church is called to die? What does that mean? And so, um, it, it really worked, I thought, pretty well with this topic. Um, and so I said, I want to use today's sermon, um, in part as a response to, um, and sort of some clarification to that piece from Baptist News called The Church is Called to Die. Right. Well, that certainly is a provocative title. So I think you started out with a brief history lesson of Christianity. And I think uh, you mentioned that Christianity started not as the, uh, the, the institution or religion that we know today, but basically a small subversive movement within Judaism. Can you give us a real quick summary of the history leading up to Constantine? Yeah. And and Bruce, I started by saying, you know, I think I think Constantine is one of the critical figures in all of church history. And um what I find is that many people can't even really identify who Constantine was and, and mm-hmm. certainly don't have any any understanding of how important he was to the history of the Christian church. And so it, um as a way of getting to Constantine, I said, let's go back and let's do a very brief kind of church history lesson, you know, and, you know, the church started with Jesus, but not, not really. I mean, Jesus didn't come to start the Christian church. Jesus was Jewish. All of Jesus' early followers were Jewish. Um, and, um, it was really the apostle Paul who became a convert to the way of Jesus. The early the early followers of Jesus were all Jewish. They all went to synagogue. It was where they were learning about the Jesus way, but it was the Jesus way within Judaism. And so there was a long, slow um, sort of brewing schism uh, that, that that eventually ended up uh, uh, with, with Christianity as something separate from Judaism. But those earliest followers of Jesus who met in the synagogues were called followers of the way. And that was how they identified themselves. They were Jews, but they they had an understanding of their Judaism through the life and teachings of, of Jesus. And they talked about the resurrection and all that, you know, all that. Um, it really was not until 
Paul, who was Saul, a Pharisee, who was persecuting this new way of Jesus, this uh, these followers of the way, he had a dramatic conversion experience. Um, and then Saul became Paul, and he began traveling the Mediterranean world and starting churches, um, starting separate um, uh I guess you would call these churches, um, and and uh, that was really when Christianity was born. But for the first three hundred years, um, Christianity was not accepted, um, was not supported. Um, it was really it was a persecuted sect within Judaism, um, and then it was also a persecuted um, minority religion uh, by the Roman Empire. Um, and, and so Christianity um, had a long, slow start, and it really didn't flourish as an institution until Constantine, um, the emperor of the Roman Empire, um, was converted to Christianity in about the year 313. Um, and so I wanted to make the point that Christianity started um, as, as, as an undercurrent movement. It was a, persecu- a persecuted movement. And yet in those years, the church grew because it was costly to be a member of the church. Um, Tertullian, one of the church fathers uh, back in the first century, said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so the church grew uh, because they were willing literally to, uh, to, to take Jesus' word seriously, take up your cross, a means of death, and they were willing to be martyred for their cause. And so the church grew um, in those 300 years despite having no approval from the culture, approval from the state. And then Constantine was converted, and that changed everything. Yeah, that so that, in your sermon, it, it sounds as if that was a double-edged sword. On one hand, you have the emperor of the largest empire in the world who uh, makes Christianity the empire, the religion for the empire, the official religion. And on the other hand, you get kind of a... Uh, cross-pollination, as it were, between religion and state that uh, you, I think you indicate has carried forward since that time. Yeah, I, I, um, and, and I think that's part of the story, Bruce, that many people, many people don't know um, and, and are unaware of this kind of tension that um, theologians and church historians have talked about for centuries. Um, was the conversion of, of Constantine a good thing? On the one hand, when the emperor of the Roman Empire becomes a Christian, well, all of a sudden Christianity comes out of the shadows and and it, and no longer is it a persecuted religion, um, but it becomes um, not actually not under Constantine, but in the year 380, it officially became Christianity officially became the, the religion of the Roman Empire. Um, so Constantine didn't officially make Christianity the religion of the empire, but he began that. Um, and, you know, once the emperor becomes a Christian, well, then maybe everybody wants to be Christian. And I said in the sermon, you know, whether you've met Jesus or not, you know, all of a sudden everybody wants to be a Christian. And so I think there is this um, this tension over the centuries of whether or not um, the merging of church and state with Constantine, um, once once Christianity becomes the state religion, and you know Rome is marching into uh, 
territories and conquering people and, you know, um, th- their their goal of, you know, global conquest, many people were converted to Christianity at the point of the sword. I mean, literally, you know, become a Christian or we're going to kill you right here. And so um, this is a very... This is a very different kind of understanding of the cross of Jesus, rather rather than it being a symbol of my own sacrificial life, my own sacrificial giving. I'm going to take up my cross as Jesus called me to and die to myself, um, die to to one another for a good cause, um, maybe literally give my life as a martyr. Instead of that, Constantine started putting the cross on the swords and the shields of the of the soldiers, and so literally the cross becomes um, a sign of war, a sign of, of domination, a sign of, of death, um, and so um, there's a real, real change there, and obviously Christianity flourishes in numbers because the largest empire in the world, um, you know, has now become Christian. Um, but is that a good thing? Is that really a good thing? Has that really helped to further the cause of Christ or has the cause of Christ become accommodated to the power of empire? Um, and that's really the heart of this sermon. Fast forward to, um, the history of the United States and you say the nation, although founded, on freedom of religion, it cannot be de- denied that the culture, due to the support of the state, has prioritized Christianity for many years. Now, that sounds, at least from the standpoint of perspective of a Christian, that sounds like a good thing. But I think you make a, an argument that that's not necessarily uh, a positive completely for yeah, the religion. And, yeah, and you know, the way that I would have understood that for many years, Bruce, was kind of like, well, this was what God had in mind. And, you know, God had planned for Constantine to be converted. And that was the way, you know, uh, God intended to spread Christianity around the world. And then you get to the United States and all of a sudden, Bruce, you start wrapping that kind of understanding with, um, you know, uh, American ideals like manifest destiny and 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 you end up with you know the conquest of native peoples and the conquest of of this new world here you know being god's calling um and and so there are a lot of people who really do believe that this kind of merger of church and state is kind of what God intended. And it's a good thing. And that's how Christianity was spread around the world and Christ and the United States was was supposed to be and was founded as a Christian nation. Many people believe that. That is absolutely not the truth. Historically, it's not true. Christian, uh, the United States was founded as a country to be free for religion, which also means free from religion if you happen to not practice religion. Um, but all of that gets wrapped up together in this notion of manifest destiny um, that, that, that this is God's nation, you know. Um, and so there, there's been this, um, for me, this uncomfortable tie between church and state throughout the history of this country. Um, and um, I, I, I used as an example how uh, state sponsorship has, has benefited Christianity. I said, can you imagine if the, if the government had chosen to honor 
Friday night and Saturday as the weekend because that's the Jewish Sabbath. What if the weekend had been Friday, Saturday, which gave people time to go to temple on Friday night or temple on Saturday morning? And then Sunday becomes one of the five work days instead of part of the weekend. Can you imagine how that would have changed church in the United States? And so in a way, I see that, and this is kind of metaphorical, but I see that in a way as Constantine still being with us. And we have the stamp of approval, of approval the imprimatur of the state um, on Christianity. Um, and um, Jews, on the other hand, you know, my, my rabbi um, colleagues and friends, you know, have always had to do battle on Friday nights if they have a, a, a Shabbat service on Friday night. How are you going to get kids to come to Shabbat on Friday night when there's Friday night football? How right. in the world are you going to get people to come to, to uh, temple on Saturday for Sabbath services with college football? Um, and instead, we've marked out Sunday um, and and back in the day of blue laws, where where it was almost against the law for things to be open, that really was a, a governmental way of supporting Christianity over the other religions. Right, and you say that uh, as the the country, as the United States becomes increasingly pluralistic and uh, less white, less Christian, less Protestant. There are anxieties that we all see in our society that are brewing and that uh, those anxieties are having quite an impact on the church. For so many years, Bruce, the church benefited from essentially state sponsorship. Now, Christianity has never been officially the the state religion of the United States. But again, with these blue laws, with the establishment of, you know, Sunday as kind of a a carved out day, um, and and the government, you know, supported that. Um, Christianity has um, benefited, if you call that a benefit, and and, and I'll get to that. But has benefited, um, and 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 I say, you know, a lot of people went to church in the 1950s because, frankly, there was nothing else to do. You know the. the you know, kids didn't play soccer on Sunday mornings in the 1950s. There were no ballet um, uh, performances on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock like some of our girls now have. Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, their, their dance troupe is doing a recital at, on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. That didn't happen in the 1950s. Nothing was open. The restaurants weren't open. You went to church on Sunday. Um, well, that really boosted the numbers of people in church, but I'm not sure it really boosted um, the commitment of people to Christ um, and to the way of Jesus, to the radical calling of Jesus, um, if you only show up because it's kind of the only game in town. And I think as, as the country has become more secular, and as it increasingly becomes more secular, and as we have become more pluralistic and people are more familiar with Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and Jews, you know, all around them, we, we become aware um, that Christianity is not the only game in town. And so the government um, is having to do more and more to make sure we're not prioritizing Christianity. That's against the First Amendment of the, of the Constitution. Um, and, and, and so 
as the culture has become more secular and more pluralistic, Christianity has lost some of the kind of default support that it had for many, many years. Many people see that as a terrible thing. Oh, it's terrible what's happening, you know, that we don't, we don't support Sunday anymore, you know, all this stuff going on on Sunday morning. And I think, and kind of the point of the sermon here today, maybe this is giving us an opportunity to finally step up and recognize that to be Christian means to make a commitment to something. Maybe to be Christian, maybe if church is going to be important, I'm going to have to say, I'm going to go to church on Sunday rather than the ball game. Or, you know, if I'm going to the Panthers game, you know, I'm going to go to the Panthers game. But rather than start my tailgating at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, I've got to make a commitment to go to church. And so I'll go like Russ did this past Sunday. I got an invitation. I went, to, I went to the Panthers game and I got there just before kickoff at one o'clock. I didn't miss a single thing. Um, I'm not, I'm not um, taking on Panthers, <laughs> Panthers right. fans. I'm just making a point that um, maybe the crisis, as some people see it, the diminishment of church as kind of the default option for Sunday. And COVID has only accelerated that, exacerbated that. Um, maybe the crisis will give us a chance to call people to recognize, you know, if we're going to be Christian, we're going to have to make a commitment to that. It's not just because it's the only game in town. Right. You talk about the difference between commitment and comfort. So what I hear you saying is that we've it's been comfortable in many ways to be Christian for for centuries now. And perhaps with changing changes in the culture and society, uh, there is more of a commitment that's required. And I think that will become... It is more obvious today than it was when I was a child. You know, Bruce, I'm not that old, but when I was a child growing up in the 70s and and early 80s, I mean, in my small South Carolina town, there was nothing else that happened on Sunday morning. And um, that's obviously not the case today. And in in my hometown, uh, coaches and schools even recognized kind of Wednesday night as church night. Um, and so there was a kind of a carve out in my culture for Sunday morning and for Wednesday night as church times. That's just totally gone. Um, and again, a lot of people kind of bemoan that, and, oh, like the loss of, you know, we need to get back to the good old days. You know, right. I think Again, if the only reason you went was because it was the only thing going, that's really not a real vote of confidence for 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 your commitment. And right. so, um, you know, the 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 good side of this COVID challenge that we're having. And so I kind of ran this together, you know, from Constantine to COVID. Um, good news for a church in crisis. The good news is that it will give us a chance to call people to recognize if this is important to you you're going to have to make a commitment in this culture to, to, uh, to do it. When you talk about the fact that if you consider this a crisis for the church that we're facing now, that we should never waste, in your words, a good crisis. Um, the challenge before us, the church needs faithful Christians to be faithful. And uh, you say because of the crisis, the church will be smaller in the future, but not necessarily less powerful. How is that? 
we, we have had a lot of people in church. Um, but again, if the only reason you go is because, well, everybody else is doing it, that doesn't necessarily mean you've made a commitment to the way of Jesus. And um, so I don't know that the diminishment of numbers hmm. means the church will be less important. Um, it will be less the default um, but maybe we get an opportunity to have a concentration of people who are in church because they really have thought about what it means to make a commitment to Christ rather than to the culture. Um, and, and maybe that actually strengthens the voice of the church in the culture. Um, our, uh, th- this phrase, the church is called to die, Bruce, came from the founding pastor of Park Road Baptist Church, who was a really interesting character. We knew Charlie Milford for five years before he died. Our first five years were, were Charlie's last five years of, of life. Um, and, and I've heard Charlie say this many times, the church is called to die. And what Charlie meant by that is he would say, if we were really calling people to do what Jesus called us to do, the real hard work, um, uh, the, the real radical call of speaking out against injustice and, uh, and, and looking out for the, for the outcast and the poor and, uh, and really doing the things that Christ called us to do, Charlie said the church would be decreasing in size, not increasing. Most people aren't willing to make that kind of commitment. And so that's where this, this, this phrase comes from. And so maybe in, in this moment, as the church is decreasing in size, it gives us a chance to call people really to think about what it means to call yourself Christian, what it really means to make a commitment to go to church on Sunday, to have a, uh, a faith community. And maybe that gives us an opportunity really to strengthen the cause of Christ and the voice of the church, even even if it's uh, smaller, than- right? So, in, in the in the final analysis, what is your take on the the future of the church? If if we are facing these crises and these kind of systemic challenges, where where do you see the Christian church going from here? I really do think the church will be smaller. I think we are not going back to the 1950s. We're not going to go back to a time where, um, you know, church is just kind of the default. Um, uh, so I, th- I think the church is going to be um, smaller. It's going to be, I-, I said at the end of the sermon, it will be less part of the cultural power structure. Um, um, it-, it will be less assumed. And yet I, I do hope. I don't. I don't believe, Bruce, that the institutional church. Uh, I'm willing to say will ever die. I think there will always be an institutional form of religion among us, um, and and yet I do think we're having getting a chance to kind of rethink what it means to be institutional church, and um, maybe less institutional and more church. Um, so um, I, I want to see the future of the Christian church as in an optimistic way. I acknowledged in this sermon that I stand as much to lose as anybody as being a person as being a person. You know, my paycheck comes from the institutional church. If the institutional church goes away, if this church were to be half the size next year that it is this year, that impacts my well-being. So, so I've got as much at stake in this as anybody. Um, and yet I want to remember what this is about. 
Um, and it is about changing the culture, um, being a voice, a kind of countercultural voice, rather than uh, b- being uh, subsumed in the culture. We're supposed to stand out and change the culture. Um, and so I, I, I see this as a real uh, hopeful opportunity for the church to rethink um, what we're supposed to be about. Um, and, and, and in that regard, I would say, despite all the moaning and groaning and despite all the anxiety, some of which I share, I think the future is bright for the Christian church. Well, Russ, you always give us a tremendous amount to think about in a very short period of time. I would just remind our listeners that uh, you can listen to the full sermon uh, at the Park Road website, parkroadbaptist.org, and go to the uh, podcast and sermons tab and look for um, From Constantine to COVID, the good news of the church in crisis. Russ, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks for doing this, Bruce. I, I, I always enjoy the conversations. And I'll say, anybody out there, um, if you want to talk to me specifically, you know, send me an email, pick up the phone. I'm always glad to have more conversations. So thank you for listening today. We invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. They can always find it on the Park Road website, or you can listen and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. That's it for this week. From all of us at Park Road Baptist Church, Thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you.